listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. I am privileged to be reading to you this morning from the book of James, first chapter, verses 19 through 27. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's on pages 980 to 81. You must understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not healers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. And thank you, Marilyn, for that reading. First time lay reading, too. Excellent, excellent work. (laughs) Very good. We should should clap for the lay reader every week. I think that'd be a good good practice to get into. Um, So good morning, everyone. So I'm just going to get right into it. I don't have a a, a fancy intro today, but as a pastor, I got to tell you guys, I spend a lot of time around religious people, right? Which like, which makes sense, right? Between, Between worship and Bible studies, prayer meetings, committee meetings, church events, my social batteries tend to run... Uh, pretty low uh, with all the time that I spend around Christians. Uh, But this summer, I was on sabbatical, and during my sabbatical, I had the privilege of being in a lot of situations where I was the only Christian in the room. And I gotta tell you, it really freaks people out when they find out you're a pastor. (laughs) Especially when you look like this, because they don't don't see that coming. Um, But like, if if I want to suck just all the air out of, a, out of a room. All I have to do is mention what I do for a living and, you know, job accomplished. Early on, that really bothered me. Like when I was first in ministry full time, I was super self-conscious about that. But I'm getting to a point now where I kind of like it. You know, like it's, it's, it's kind of fun to be, you know, at a wedding or a dinner. You're in a, a waiting room talking to a stranger and it's like, okay, when do I want to ruin this encounter? <laughs> It's a little fun. It's fun. But it gets awkward because religion is, has fallen on hard times. Are, are, do we kind of agree on that? It's not, not a great time for religion right now in society. Uh, and for some good reasons. Uh, a lot of religious leaders and institutions have really messed things up in recent years in a very public way. Um, so understandably, people are a little skeptical of religion. 
And the line that I will hear often when I mention that I'm a pastor to someone is some variation of, of this. I'm spiritual but not religious. That's almost always the response. Oh, you're a pastor? That's cool. <laughs> I'm spiritual but I'm, I'm not really religious. I hear that all the time. And uh, I've learned that the phrase spiritual but not religious can mean a few different things depending on, on kind of where it's coming from. For a lot of people, it's a polite way of saying, please don't try to convert me, <laughs> right? Like, like please, please don't pressure me to join your religious club or whatever. Like, that's, that's sometimes what it means. For others, uh, it's a way of saying I'm not really into church. I don't like church. Church isn't for me, and I get that, right? Church isn't for everybody. Uh, some, sometimes church can be boring, right? Um, not our church, of course, we're, we're never boring, <laughs> um, but I've heard other churches can't be. Um, for some people, though, uh, spiritual but not religious means that they've been hurt by the church. Um, they might be carrying some spiritual baggage. There might have been some point where they were made to feel that they don't belong in church, and so I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And for a growing number of people, spiritual but not religious means I grew up in church, I still believe all the things, basically, but for one reason or another, kind of take your pick from all those options, I'm not practicing my faith anymore. The fastest growing religious affiliation in America today is none, as in N-O-N-E, no religion in particular. Uh, Generation Z, which is people born from roughly 1999 to 2015, so we're talking like eight to 24-year-olds, Gen Z, is the first generation in U.S. history where a plurality of people, the biggest chunk of people, about 35%, are being raised with no religion at all. Um, They're not being raised atheist or agnostic. They're not in some other tradition, some other faith. 35% of Gen Z is being raised without religion. It's It's not on their radar screen. It's not a category in their lives. Of course, capitalism abhors a vacuum right? And this, this is America. So, of course, we have a whole industry now that provides spiritual goods and services to the spiritual but not religious. There are podcasts, uh, books, gurus on YouTube and social media. You can buy amulets, crystals, meditation apps. And it's not like all this stuff is bad, right? Like, I listen to plenty of spiritual podcasts. I have a meditation app. But the danger that I see lurking here is that we're cultivating a very consumeristic sort of spirituality in our culture, where we sort of browse for religious goods and services, just like shopping for anything else on Amazon, right? It's individualistic, uh, it's consumeristic, it's not usually connected to community or relationship. Our culture is turning religion, it's turning spirituality, into a product that is curated for us based on our personal preferences and browsing habits. And just in case you think that this is only a problem for the spiritual but not religious crowd, the church really led the way in this. Our hands are not clean in this situation at all. Uh, American Christianity tends to be a very consumeristic form of religion. In ancient societies, uh, there tended to be like one major local 
cult or church or something like that that provided for the spiritual needs of the whole community. In America, though, we've got different brands, right? You've got your Lutheran, Episcopalian, Baptist, Methodist, each with different worship styles, different preaching styles, different music, different theology, all based on the preferences of our people. If you want like a high church, reverent, very structured liturgy with with candles and mystery, then you might go to like a, a Catholic church or an Episcopal church. We've got two fantastic ones that are our neighbors, awesome churches, uh, Nativity and St. Luke's. On the flip side, uh, if you are looking for a sermon that's kind of like a college lecture with some weird stand-up mixed in, <laughs> um, if you like hymns but you want peppered in some contemporary songs, like you come, you come here, right? Like that's, that's the brand. It feels really consumer-driven sometimes. It shouldn't surprise us that a number of people have taken a look at what all these churches offer and said, that's not for me. That's not a brand I want to invest in. The thing that all this stuff has in common, though, spirituality and religion in America in the 21st century, is that it's terribly disembodied. It's about ideas and beliefs, preferences, books we agree with, products we consume, apps we use, branding we adhere to, and all that stuff is usually completely disconnected from how we actually live and operate in the world day to day. So when James writes, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. When James talks about religion, pure religion, he has something in mind that is radically different from what passes for religion in most of our culture. Here's a question. Does anyone know where the word religion comes from? Any, any like, uh, linguistic scholars here? No, okay, it's, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Um, religion, the word religion, comes from Latin. And I have to be really careful here because I have a retired Latin teacher right there, um, and I'll be expecting a grade from you after this. Um, actually, don't grade me. Um, <laughs> but no, the word religion comes from the Latin word legare. Let me hear you all say legare. Excellent pronunciation. Um, legare literally means to join or connect. To join or connect, to, to link, legare. We get the word ligament from legare, right? Those things in our bodies that hold our bones together, ligament, legare. Legare means connect. And so re-legare, religion, means something like reconnect. That's the origin of the word, reconnect, relink. Joining together whatever has been broken or separated. Which means that at its root, religion comes from the realization that we live terribly disconnected lives. We are disconnected from God, we're disconnected from other people, we're disconnected from ourselves. We can be disconnected from our families, disconnected from the earth, disconnected from our own bodies. We carry shame about our bodies, we're limited by them. We have all these beliefs and ideals that we believe in and we struggle to live it out and embody it. We're lonely, 
and isolated, disconnected. Religion is about reconnecting. Does this make sense? Following this so far? Okay, good, good, good. At its root, religion should be a communal enterprise by which we come together and support each other in healing all the disconnection in our lives. That's the root idea behind this word. Coming together to fix whatever is broken, whatever is standing in the way of us connecting with God, ourselves, and each other. Most churches track with the God part of that equation, right? But those other fronts of disconnection, those other areas in our lives, are just as important. When James tells us to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive ourselves, he's getting at the heart of what religion is all about. He's not saying that we have to earn our salvation. James is not a legalist. He's saying that when it comes to following Jesus, the important part is how we live, and especially how we treat the least of these, orphans and widows, the people at the margins. This is why as a pastor, I don't really care what doctrines you hold to, like what abstract ideas you have in your head. That, that's important. It's good to have coherent theology, and it can be really fun to wrestle with the big questions of life and faith, but I don't think there's going to be a theology quiz at the pearly gates. And if there is, we are all in so much trouble. Um, but I don't think that's the key. What I care about as your pastor is what Lord you follow. I want to know that Jesus is at the center of your life and that following him is actually making a difference in how you live and how you treat others. I want to see that your faith in Christ is leading you to wholeness, that being part of this church is helping to heal whatever is disconnected in your lives so you can reconnect, re-ligare. And the ultimate test of our religion, according to James is how we treat orphans and widows. In the ancient world, time of James, first century, the poorest of the poor, the most marginalized, the most disconnected people were orphans and widows. 39 times in the Old Testament, God's people are commanded to care for the orphans and the widows. Build the kind of society, practice the kind of faith where the poorest of the poor are lifted up. Over and over again we find this in the Bible. So James is drawing on this long tradition in Judaism and his faith when he says that pure religion is how we treat orphans and widows. But there's another bit of context here that I want to make sure we catch. I don't want us to miss this. Because when James says we need to care for the orphans and widows, he's also talking about his own story. Let me explain. Remember the first century is an incredibly patriarchal time. Uh, women have next to no rights. That's why widows were so vulnerable. If you were a woman in ancient Rome, you needed usually a male relative in your life, usually a husband or an adult son uh, or your father, who could vouch for you, who could protect you, who could watch out for you, because they had no rights. It was awful. Patriarchy is a terrible system that we should never go back to. But that patriarchy is also reflected in the word orphan. The word orphan did not originally mean a kid with no parents. It meant fatherless. Orphanos in Greek is a child without a father. 
Because in that society, at that time, if you were a kid with no father, you were just as bad off as a widow. Here's where that connects to James. Who is James's brother? Jesus, right. James is Jesus' little brother. Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, or so it's thought, so it was thought Joseph, it's a, that's hazy. But um, born to Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph had more kids. Jesus had little brothers and sisters. And Mary shows up later in the story. We find Mary at the cross when Jesus is crucified. But Joseph? The last mention we have of Joseph in the Bible is that story where Jesus gets left behind in Jerusalem and his parents go back. He's like a little kid and they find him debating the religious scholars at the temple. We know that story. That's the last mention we get of Joseph in the Bible. And while it's not spelled out in the Bible, the tradition of the early church was that Joseph died while Jesus was a teenager, which would have left Jesus, James, and their siblings orphans, and it would have made Mary a widow. So when James says that pure religion means caring for orphans and widows, he's speaking from experience. He's calling back to his story. James is a person who was failed by the religious establishment of his day. The religious leaders allied with Rome to crucify his brother. They hunted down and killed a number of James's friends. In all likelihood, the religious establishment had been uh, failing James and his family since they were kids. First point of application from this. First thing we can kind of take from all this. If you've been failed by organized religion, If religion, as it is so often practiced in our society, has hurt you or let you down, you are in good company with the Jesus movement. The people we read about in the Bible, figures like James, Paul, Jesus, they know exactly how you feel because it happened to them. They've been there too. The religious establishment of their day let them down. And I'm very proud to say that if you've been failed by organized religion, you're in pretty good company in this church. We have a lot of people here who are exiles from other religious communities, churches, temples, you name it, that harmed them in some way. Personally, I grew up watching my mom take so much crap as a female leader in ministry. My mother was a pastor at a time when women being pastors was not really a thing in many circles. So I watched her, my entire childhood, go through that. As a teenager, um, I had youth pastors and Christian friends uh, tell me that I was going to go to hell because I dyed my hair bright colors and I cursed too much. I grew out of the hair dye thing, still working on the cursing. Um, (laughs) But that's why this is so important to me. Uh, As a community, we strive to make this church a safe place, a place of refuge for spiritual exiles, people who've been hurt by the church. And we don't always get it right, but we try. It's the goal we're shooting for. And that ministry of reconnection is vitally important. You're in good company here. Second piece of application, uh, and this one should really be a challenge for all of us, is more of a question. How does following Jesus affect the areas of disconnection in your own life? 
How does following Jesus affect the areas of disconnection in your own life? How is your religion, how is your spirituality making you more like Jesus and moving you closer to wholeness? Verse 19. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Is your religion making you a better listener? Does your spirituality make you slower to speak and quicker to listen? Are you becoming less angry, more humble, more meek? If not, your religion might be useless in James's terms. You could be a hearer of the word and not a doer. And I gotta say, we're a pretty heady church. Um, Brockport First Baptist, we're, we're an intellectual bunch. Something we need to be asking ourselves is, is our religion primarily something we believe or is it something we practice? Is it a bunch of ideas, a bunch of boxes we check in our head or is it something we embody, something we live out in the world? Are you a spiritual consumer or a spiritual doer? One of those paths leads to health, wholeness, and reconnection. The other will leave you empty. Last but not least, third point of application. What difference is your religion making for the least of these? How are the orphans and widows doing? How is your faith in Christ moving you to act, to advocate, to partner with, work alongside of, and lift up the least of these in our midst? Uh, I mentioned a few minutes ago that it is not a great time for religion right now in the world, uh, at least in our uh, society. Churches are closing left and right. Um, the current estimate is that between 4,000 and 10,000 churches close every year. That's 100 to 200 churches shutting their doors every week. And the sad part, the, the part that really hurts me, is that a lot of these communities don't notice when the church has gone. The orphans and widows should notice if Brockport First Baptist drops off the face of the earth. That's the measure of whether or not we're practicing pure religion. The people in your life who are suffering and hurting should notice your faith in Jesus. Your religion should be making a positive difference in their lives, not heaping burdens on them. My suggestion, if you're wrestling with this, if you're trying to figure out how to move from hearing the word to doing the word, start by looking at where God is already active in your midst. Find a cause that God has placed on your heart and get involved. Start putting some energy toward it. Find people in your life who are suffering and look for ways to manifest the love of God to them. It could be friendship. It could be cooking a meal. It could mean forming some new relationships or advocating alongside someone. It could mean sacrificing something on your end, going without, so that you can lift someone else up. And I have to say, 
I know I'm preaching to the choir somewhat here. A lot of you do a fantastic job at this. That's one of the things I really love about this church. But for the rest of us, though, hopefully this is generating some ideas, some practical ways you can put your faith into action. And if not, consider our church as a place you can begin to practice this. Make this your rehearsal space for putting your faith in action out there. We host a meal here every month on the third Sunday, which is today. Um, Go to that meal. See how you can serve. Better yet, go to the gathering table and sit with someone you've never met before. Somebody not from our church who's just here for the meal. Sit with them, talk to them, get to know them, find out what they're passionate about, what makes them tick. Come to our next Just Desserts event. It's on Thursday, October 19th. Uh, We're going to be talking about redlining, the practice by which um, black and brown people have historically been pushed into poorer neighborhoods that are then starved for resources. That's redlining. Um, Come on October 19th as we talk about this. Rochester, the city we live right outside of, is the most redlined city in the Northeast. On October 19th at Just Desserts, we're going to get together, we're going to have some pie and some cookies, and we're going to talk about what we can do about that. Come out for that. Um, We've got a children's ministry that is always in need of volunteers. We have a youth group full of awesome kids who would love some older adults in their life to listen to them, invest in them, share the love of God with them. We have a teen closet in the basement that I'd love to see open more often. Right now we open it uh, for two hours, uh, one Sunday a month, and then by appointment. I would love to see so many volunteers for the teen closet that we have it open way more than that. There are so many ways to practice pure religion here at Brackport First Baptist. So whatever you do, don't sit on the sidelines. Don't let your faith be something that lives up here and not in here. Get involved form those relationships, be spiritual and religious, be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pray. God, help us to practice pure religion. Open our eyes to the ways that our faith has fallen victim to consumerism and passivity. Show us where we can take action to begin healing the disconnection in our lives and in our community. Lord, help us to practice the kind of faith that makes a difference for the orphans and the widows in our midst. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.